Mark My Words shares Mark Homer's contrarian views on investing, business, finance, economics, and all things money. Mark interviews the world's most successful business, finance, and money experts, as well as imparting his knowledge in a factual, direct, and no-nonsense manner. Welcome to Mark My Words, and here is your host, Mark Homer. Hi, good morning, and welcome to Mark My Words. This is Mark Homer. Okay, so Beth's asked me this morning, um, what is going to happen to property investors um, post-Brexit and what is Brexit going to mean for your property investments? And the answer I gave to her straight away off the cuff was, I've got absolutely no idea. Now, my answer wouldn't have been any different in 2008. Um, and if I'd been old enough and, and conscious, it probably wouldn't have been um, any different in the previous recession of the late 80s. Now, why is that? Well, the main, the, 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 the main sort of consequence of Brexit is that um, it, lot, there's going to be lots and lots of changes in terms of trade, uh, in terms of our relationship with the European Union, um, in terms of rules around lending and, and general legislative um, sort of the general legislative framework that um, you know we we all follow in the UK, this has got to be the biggest project that the government has undertaken since the Second World War. So this is absolutely massive in terms of the the, the raft of sort of new papers, um, acts, and 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 and. and sort of all the linkages between all the institutions that we use every day, um, you know, the, the changes that have come about. That said, it doesn't mean that I've stopped investing in property and it doesn't mean that, um, you know, I'm sort of just sitting on my hands like lots of other people are doing. Um, and I'll explain to you why. Now, generally speaking, um, Residential property investors are better insulated against market changes than probably commercial um, and definitely than sort of standard trading trading businesses. Might be retail, um, might be sort of um, service-based industries, uh, businesses like ours where we're, we're offering training products. Now, now why is that? Well, the, the main sort of pretext here is that people need somewhere to live. People need a home to live in. There are 70 million people in this country. Um, those people aren't suddenly going to disappear um, and, um, and go and live somewhere else. I know, you know there's some people have been saying, well, you know, when Brexit comes along, um, you know, all the Eastern Europeans are suddenly going to go home. Well, some of them may go home, uh, but I think the, the reality is that most of them will stay. Maybe less will come over. Uh, I suspect there's still going to be some element of free movement of people. Um, I know... Uh, Theresa May and some of her friends, uh, maybe not Boris, uh, especially after his uh, comments this weekend in the Sunday Times, um, have said that, um, you know, immigration or, or, or some form of immigration will continue. It might be not be uncontrolled immigration, but they're going to have to let lots of people come in um, to staff those service industries and manufacturing as well, um, because there aren't enough people in this country that want to do that kind of work. So that's got to continue to keep the, the economy growing. So we know that. Um, so people always need somewhere to live. There is still a, a, a significant housing shortage or, or, or gap between the supply and the number of new households being formed every year in this country. Uh, we're still about 100,000 short every year of new completions. So that's to say that 
Um, there are around 100,000 less properties being built every year than is needed to keep up with demand currently. Um, and because of that, um, you know, the, the, the sort of supply and demand um, imbalance will mean that generally speaking, uh, prices will rise. You'll probably have seen, especially since the Brexit period, and especially since the, the, the all the tax changes that have, t that have taken place against landlords in the last two or three years, rents have ri risen significantly. I know Ricks are saying that rents are going to go up 10, 15% over the next year, 18 months. Uh, we've seen very significant rental growth in Peterborough, uh, well in excess of 25% in three years. It sounds crazy, but that's what's happened. Um, just because less properties are coming on the market, um, there's more uncertainty, less landlords are buying. Obviously, the tax changes have uh, impacted that as well. But um, whenever you go through these periods, yes, there will be, um, you know, sort of uh, less people buying properties and there's more negativity in the media. And lots of people will translate that or lots of investors will translate that um, to mean, well, that means maybe I shouldn't be buying because everybody else isn't buying or everybody else isn't that positive. Well, um, I would often um, sort of decode that um, and, and, and sort of take it to mean that actually maybe I should be buying and maybe I, I should be negotiating harder, finding deals uh, because the market has gone soft. Now, the market in Peterborough, the market in the Midlands, definitely the market in most areas of London and Greater London has gone soft. In fact, around Greater London, it's probably been um, dropping, let's say it's dropped 15, 20%. Um, especially in those more central areas of London um, since this whole sort of Brexit um, issue started. So um, I suspect um, the market will continue to be soft uh, until we get certainty. Does that mean we get an amazing deal from the EU? Um, not necessarily. Are they suddenly going to give us this uh, utopic deal which uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg or, I don't know, Bojo or, or, or even, you know, uh, Theresa May with a, a sort of checkers plan um, want, expect, or, or, you know, are telling us we're going to get? Well, probably not. But I'm not really sure that any of that is really going to change that much. Um, I think all we need is certainty. I think all that people need to know is uh, we're, we're sort of in this thing or we're not in this thing. Uh, this is what it's going to mean for trade. This is therefore what it's going to mean for economic growth. This is what it's therefore going to mean to my job. This is what it's going to mean to my income. This is how secure I'm going to be over the next year, two, five years for businesses. Uh, if they know that they can get goods in uh, at a certain um, price or the amount of duty that they're going to have to pay on those goods or, you know, the amount of friction that they're going to encounter when bringing those goods over the border um, is certain. If they have certainty around um, those costs and those challenges, I think that will release, um, you know, the, 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 the break that is um, currently being uh, applied to the market. And, and once that break gets um, removed from the market, um, I think it's really going to start going again. So we're not necessarily craving, um, um, you know, some, some kind of uh, amazing free trade deal or, or some kind of uh, uh, amazing gift from the EU. It's just certainty. Uh, once businesses know they've got that certainty and they start pumping into um, you know, new projects, they start buying new buildings, they start investing in factories, they start employing staff uh, you know, in, in, in a greater way, that is what then creates growth. That's not to say that the, the economy isn't growing, because it is growing. 
Um, you know, we're still sort of, I don't know, one and a half percent growth every year. It's much better than 08, 09, 2010. Uh, but it's just that we, you know, if we look at our European cousins, they're probably growing one percent more every year because they're not subject to all this uncertainty, uh, which Brexit has clearly caused. Um, so um, clearly the market's gone soft. Clearly it's going to continue to be soft. Will this be sorted by next March or this coming March? Um, who knows um, if it is or there's some sort of certainty. I suspect you could see a big whoosh, um, a little bit like we saw in London in 2010, maybe more, you know, in, in, in areas like Peterborough in the Midlands and the North, maybe towards 2012, 2013 onwards. There was a big release of pent up investment money, which had been sitting there waiting to be allocated because people were uncertain. They weren't sure. They were scared. Um, companies didn't want to invest because they didn't know what the future might bring. Um, and as the picture became clearer and people became more positive, that money got allocated and the market sort of really, really took off. Um, I suspect at the end of the Brexit period or, or, or once this uncertainty goes away, that's going to happen again. I just don't know when it's going to happen. Um, you know, it could be March, could be ro could roll on. Um, seen it so many times with the, the politicians in the EU um, and, and on, on general sort of issues of the day, they will um, kick the can down the road. They've already negotiated this sort of extension period uh, or transition period with the EU. Uh, that hasn't been mentioned much over the last sort of few weeks, um, few months. It all seems to be about March at the moment. Um, they may kick the can down the road, um, you know, further. Um, I'm not sure that's a great thing because... Um, you know, certainty and, and actually taking the, the bitter pill, swallowing it, um, you know, taking the hit and, and, and getting on uh, will then sort of uh, create more growth quicker, I think. We'll, we'll repair ourselves quicker and, and sort of get on the, the, the road to recovery faster. But um, at that point, things are, are, are really going to change. So because of all this, the market's softer. Um, I'm getting offered more deals. Um, I'm, I'm generally finding that compared to sort of 2000 and 12, 2013, maybe 2014, um, there is more stuff out there. I'm not saying there's loads out there. It's not sort of like everything's on sale like it was in 08, 09, 10, but there is more out there, uh, which is clearly a positive thing. Um, something that's easier than it was in 08, 09, 10 is lending. Um, I'm getting offered money at lower rates than I have been at any point in the last 10 years, or in fact, at any point that I have been since I've been investing in, in, in property in the last 15 years. That's both development finance and uh, long-term sort of term finance or, or commercial finance or, or, or maybe even buy-to-let finance. Um, you know, we, uh, we went to Funding Circle. Uh, it wasn't for a property loan, but it was for a business loan. Uh, about three weeks ago, they, they offered us £240,000 unsecured, not secured against the property, not secured against any other asset, at 2.7% per annum. Uh, we, got, we got offered that three weeks ago. Uh, I'm getting good offers from sort of Lloyd's, Metro Bank. Um, I, I just got a call set up this morning with NatWest, RBS. Um, so these guys are, are lending, um, you know, and in much greater volumes than they have been, I'd say, at any point in the last 10 years and at better rates. They've got a bigger appetite. So that should probably tell you a few things about where they see this, this residential investment market going. Um, clearly, if you're buying retail units, as I am, and, you know, and, and converting them in, into residential, but we're often keeping some retail on the ground floor, they're more careful about the, the retail investments on the ground floor for obvious reasons. 
but for me, that's probably one of the reasons I'm buying that sort of stuff because the market is so negative about retail currently. Um, I was at a, a sort of big champagne reception on Thursday evening with one of the big London agents, um, a lot of people there. Um, and, um, you know, the, these are the sort of bigger agents dealing with the, the bigger retail, um, industrial, uh, bigger office sort of developments and investments. Uh, most of the market participants were there. Um, and the, the, the general sort of theme in the room was, um, you know, if you look at across the three sort of commercial sectors or, or, or let's include residential as well, if you look at retail, it's gone very, very negative uh, in the last six to 12 months. We did a big sale. Uh, we sold a, a quite a, a large unit uh, towards the end of last year. I think we sold at a high sort of 6% range. Um, since then, the market has got a lot more negative. Um, and the, the person that I spoke to, um, uh, you know, who managed that sale for me said, if we're selling the same building today, it would be worth 10 to 15% less. So that's about half a million pounds on that sale. So that market has changed quite significantly. Uh, industrial uh, is, is, is going like the clappers, very, very positive. Um, you know, the, the, the main reason for that is that these trade counters and these smaller businesses and, and builders, they're all sort of firing away. Uh, so that, 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 those kind of properties are, are increasing in value. Um, you, you, you won't find anything around here um, in terms of sort of industrial with a good amount of hard standing. Uh, there is a big shortage for that sort of stock. Uh, would I want to be buying industrial units at the moment? Well, if I had a good tenant, I had a good use, maybe. But it's probably not the best time to be speculatively investing in that sort of stuff because everybody's on it. Everybody thinks it's great. Everyone thinks that Amazon needs a new shed and, you know, online is taking over the world and therefore these industrial units uh, are the only things to buy. Look like residential was in 2012, 2013, 2014. And I, I kept looking at them all sort of thinking, well, yeah, it is great, but what's changed? Nothing's changed. The the rents are, uh, sort of as they were. In fact, they've gone up since since people have become more negative about in, um, residential. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that the masses are always right about this stuff, or, or maybe they are right. Uh, they're right about what they want to do, but maybe you you should be sort of looking at doing something different. The office market is clearly um, very strong as well. Lots of us have taken those offices and converted them into residential. Uh, we had Kate Barker um, over to Peterborough uh, and presented the council only a couple of weeks ago about all the offices that have gone out of the town centre. Uh, and she was saying that they should be applying to remove the permitted development rights from office buildings because um, there isn't enough office space in Peterborough now. Uh, but what I think it's done is create demand for office space in the, the sort of outer areas now of a lot of these towns, including where we are. Um, so that's that's got to be a positive. So sort of if you look at commercial, the, the three sectors are, are quite different. Um, and if you look at the impact that Brexit might have on commercial versus residential, um, you know, I, I think the office market will probably remain strong because it, it can be converted into residential, most of it, if it's not listed and if it's not in an exclusion zone. Um, retail will probably continue to to get sort of hit. Um, the main reason for that is it's in this slow motion crash created by online and Amazon and, you know, John Lewis now and all these sort of quite strong um, online retailers, um, ASOS, you know, eBay's there, um, all of those sort of, you know, those guys with a strong web presence are, are really hitting retail. I think the fact that sterling has depreciated, i.e. the pound has dropped against the euro and the, and the US dollar, and against the Chinese yuan, 
uh, means that goods that we're importing cost that much more. Um, a lot of retailers have gone through change because of that. Um, Brexit has created all this um, and therefore they've had to amend their pricing structure um, accordingly. Uh, those that have done have done quite well. B&M seem to have done that. Uh, Pound World, not so much. Maybe Pound Stretcher haven't reacted as, as quickly to that. Uh, and, and therefore they're, they're struggling uh, and Pound World have actually gone bust. And I think Poundlander, um, they're one of our tenants. They're, they're, they're probably not doing as, as well as um, maybe they, they could have been. So, you know, the, 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 there's definitely been an impact on, on retail because of Brexit. Uh, and I think it will continue to, to be that way. Uh, residential, as we've mentioned, uh, I think it will carry on. Generally, it's quite stable. Uh, people need somewhere to live. A lot more impacted by how many landlords are buying. As soon as the sentiment increases, more landlords are buy. Rents will probably not go up as much. Prices will increase. Um, and um, yeah, and if, if, if you're looking at sort of larger sheds and, and, and factory space, um, lots of those guys aren't investing uh, because of Brexit currently. Uh, if you think of the car manufacturers, especially, they have to import goods. They're worried about... Um, goods coming over the border and them suddenly having to apply duty to them and maybe they can't get the goods over as quickly or their raw materials or their components for the cars over as quickly. So this just-in-time manufacturing process can't take place um, you know, as efficiently and as smoothly. Um, so lots of those guys are concerned about that uh, and the, the sort of disruption that's going to cause. So they're not investing. And I suspect you'll see a, a bit of a whoosh uh, when they sort of come back to the market. Um, so it's in European. It's in Europe's interest to do a deal. Um, they are clearly being belligerent. Um, you saw Donald Tusk um, and um, you know uh, Jean Claude Juncker um, make some pretty negative comments um, over the last couple of weeks, especially in relation to Chequers. Um, they're saying that the deal that's on the table at the moment won't work, and they're sort of using these sound bites. Um, and what they're really doing is speaking to their own populace. They're speaking to the people in their countries um, so that they continue to, uh, you know, be perceived as, 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 as giving the UK a tough time, not letting us off the hook, um, you know, easily uh, making us pay the Brexit bill, which, by the way, this 40, 50, 60 million, whatever we're supposedly going to pay, none of that's going to be paid unless a deal is done. So remember, that's still being held there in abeyance subject to uh, a, a good deal being struck um, for us. So um, it is in their interest to do a deal. We don't really know what's going on in the background. They may be saying, well, actually, uh, most of this plan that you've got on the table at the moment is is good, it's positive, and we're willing to work with it. Um, but, um, you know, we can't necessarily say that publicly. Uh, they may be just being completely belligerent, and they may be saying to our, uh, you know, to... Um, Dominic Rubb and, 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 and the others that are there negotiating, they may be just saying, well, you know, this is not going to work and, and you're not going to get your deal and you better get back to the drawing board. Um, as part of their negotiating stance, you, you probably remember with Greece and with um, Cyprus, the European Union took those guys right to the wire. They took it to the 11th hour. They, they pushed and pushed and pushed would not do a deal. It looked like there was going to be Armageddon in those countries, you know, Greece, all the all the people, well, the people did get end up on the streets, but, you know, um, all the banking system was going to grind to a halt. People were going to stop getting paid. There was going to be anarchy. 
um, and the whole financial system there was going to collapse. You probably remember that. And of course, at the last minute, the European Central Bank and and, and the EU and they, they dragged Germany in. They did a deal at the last minute. Similar happened in Cyprus, um, you know, and, and all through the sort of financial crises, um, you know, and, and all through this period since the 08 crash, we've seen the EU time and time again take it right to the last minute. So I'm not saying they're necessarily going to do a deal in March, uh, but I suspect they will soften uh, right at the last minute uh, and there will be some sort of concession made. Clearly, there have to be concessions made on both sides. And they say, you know, we haven't, um, you know, made enough concessions. We haven't prepared enough. We haven't, we're not talking specifically about what we want. What we want. And maybe that is true. But um, I suspect even if we we said to them, right, we'll give you 100, 100 billion euros, uh, you know, we'll, we'll stop. Um, we'll, we'll allow complete free trade. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll sort of... Um, um, ascend to all of your rules on goods and services um, and free trade, um, you know, will continue and will be uh, completely subservient to the uh, the ECJ, the, the, the Euro- European Court of Justice. I suspect if we had accepted all of that and, had, uh, and, and, and let them have their way, they'd still want to push it right to the 11th hour just to look sort of strong in front of uh, the, the rest of the, uh, you know, the, the rest of their own uh, paymasters and, and the people that vote for them in their own countries. Because uh, because that is is actually who they're talking to. They're not necessarily talking to us. Well, maybe they're, they're sort of talking to the Sun and the Daily Mail so that they can create another angry headline to to get everyone worked up and, and sell a few more newspapers. So um, I, I I you know we're we're sort of back to this common theme um, which I've talked about a lot in the past, um, which is we've, we've got an issue. Uh, there's a bit of a crisis rolling. Uh, the newspapers have got something to to get us all worked up about. It's on the on the sort of TV nightly, you know, all weekend. You know, uh, Robert Peston's always talking about it, and um, you know, it's always on the Andrew Marr show. So, so it's sort of got our got our concentration. It's it, it's there. It's front of mind, uh, and it's selling lots of media. That doesn't mean that um, it makes investment bad. It doesn't mean we should necessarily change our behaviour. What what we should be looking at, we should be taking a twenty year view. We should be uh, looking at the fundamentals um, of, you know, property investing. Are there enough people there to rent these properties if we're going to hold them long term? Absolutely, yes. Is that likely to continue in the future? Absolutely, yes. Are we at a point now where less people are buying, both for investment and probably for development as well? Absolutely, yes. Um, So uh, that more than any of the, the previous two things I've mentioned makes it more likely or, or, you know, means that you should be even more interested in, in buying at the moment and negotiating hard because people are probably a little bit more negotiable where they have to sell. So if it's a repossession or, you know, maybe there's a, a receiver instructed or um, there's, there's a forced sale, maybe an institution or a council or someone like that is transacting, um, they can be great deals because um, they're, 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 they're probably having to do more deals. That's not to say... The auction market isn't busy at the moment uh, and there aren't deals being done. Of course, there are. It's nothing like 2008, 2009. But I think the market is taking a breather. I think it's offering some opportunities. um, And I I think you should grasp those opportunities uh, and and just negotiate a little bit harder. If if you're worried about properties dropping next year, they could do. They could come off a little bit. Um, Where I live in Stamford, even the agents are admitting that the market has dropped by around 5%. I mean, Stanford rarely drops. It 
it, it rarely drops at all because, you know, there's just always demand, you know, the, these kind of properties, the, 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 the sort of conservation area and the listed buildings are, are always just a wonderful place to live and they're in such limited demand. You know, this is all, all the crap they used to spout in sort of 08, 09 and 2010 when the market actually did drop 25, probably 30 percent to actually get a deal done. Um, they, they, they sort of have been spouting uh, that, but you know, even they're admitting that the, the prices have probably come off five percent in the in in the last year. You know, no, no great drama, but you know, we're 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 seeing a little bit of a correction, slight correction. Uh, Peterborough's certainly gone soft as well, so I think that offers offers a, a great opportunity, and especially for those guys. Um, you know, if you're listening to this in Australia or South Africa, or you know, maybe you're sort of in China or, you know, in the Far East, in Singapore, or where I used to live in Indonesia, or wherever you are abroad, your currency is worth that much more than, than you know, our pound sterling, um, you know, in comparison to what it was, um, say, three years ago. Um, so let's say you're getting a 20 to 30% um, reduction uh, because sterling has dropped so much and, and your currency is that much stronger against it. Um, you're also in London probably getting a 15 to 20% reduction because the market's fallen by that much. You're probably getting a 50% reduction in the price of property in central London. In somewhere like Peterborough or the Midlands, you're probably getting a, a 30, 35, maybe 40% reduction over three years ago. Uh, and in the north of England, where areas are still growing actually, because they're at the end of the roller coaster and they're still, they're probably still rising. They haven't quite got to the top yet. Obviously, Mayfair's sort of down here at the front of the roller coaster. Peterborough's sort of maybe there, just gone over the top, uh, and then you know, sort of still on its way up. Maybe the north of England and back here, we're we're in sort of uh, Northern Ireland um, or, or maybe the Outer Hebrides. Um, so, you know, the, 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 those. You guys that are abroad have got a bit of an opportunity. Um, there's also a bit of a window for you guys as well. Um, uh, this weekend, uh, Theresa May announced that she was going to introduce enhanced stamp duty or increased stamp duty for foreign purchasers who um, don't pay tax in the United Kingdom. Um, so she, she's saying there's going to be a 1% or 3% surcharge um, on buying properties. Well, that's been announced. Um, I, I don't think it's been introduced yet. I haven't even seen the detail around it. Um, so I, I think you've got a bit of a window there to buy property now before that stamp duty gets applied. Um, and before we get some certainty around this Brexit issue, uh, because I'm pretty sure that, you know, sterling, once, once there is certainty, sterling will start to strengthen again. Uh, it may happen very, very quickly. Uh, and the property market will strengthen. There'll be more buyers and, and you know, the, the market will return to, to, to growth as, as, it, as it always has done in, in the long run and in the sort of medium term, medium to long term over the last thousand years. Hope that's been useful. Hope that's given you um, some good insight into what Brexit's likely to mean for your property investing uh, future, uh, for your property investing um, sort of business uh, and how you should be reacting to it over the coming months and years. That has been Mark Homer for uh, Mark My Words.